What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Knicks fans, how you doing? It is, of course, your boy Jonathan Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, I was very, very, very excited to know that um, today's guest is is apparently willing to come on my show, you know, fairly regularly. Um, I, I'll let him, you know, push back on that if he wants. But if that is indeed the case, I am very excited. Um, we have with us once again, the athletics, Mike Vorkanoff. Mike, did I, did I speak out of turn or are you, can I call you like a regular guest now? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Hey man, we got nothing else to talk about. At these, we got nothing else to do other than parent and um, check Twitter. So why not podcast in that time too? Yeah, no, um, there, there are, it's a nice pastime. Um, my, my understanding is that people like to listen to these too. So, so why not? Um, before we get to any Knicks though, I have to ask what, what is the latest time in the day that you usually fill up your, your final cup of coffee? Cause you just said you had to make a coffee run. And I'm, I'm curious cause everybody falls along a different place on this. Uh, I've been trying to stick to two a day, but sometimes when I get to three, I'll go like, my last one I'll, I'll throw in depends how much work I need that day, but let's say like four thirty-five. Oh wow. Okay. That's that's deep. That's you know. I, I listen, everybody's everybody's I mean you're are you like you're not like a nine PM coffee drinker at least. So I guess that's good. No, but I can fall asleep like right away after drinking coffee. I I have a, a weird relationship with caffeine. So I can like drink a coffee at ten and be asleep by eleven. Well that's good. Um I'm you know an Italian kid who who grew up with espresso at the table. So I, I'm the same way. It doesn't really have um, much of an effect on me. Um, maybe for the best, maybe for the worst. Um, okay. So we have some news to talk about, which is nice. Um, the Knicks, um, I should probably get this right. They, what did they do? They just, they picked up the mutual option, right? On Scott Perry. I guess that's the, yeah, he had a, he had a trigger date May one, which might be the day you're listening to this. Um, and to kind of get ahead of that, they, they picked it up. And so he's on a one year contract now. So, um, yeah, they picked, they picked up his option. It's just the same thing as you would with a player and the date was coming up on their decision. And, um, so he'll be, he'll be with the Knicks for at least the next year. Yeah. Um, which, well, were you surprised by this? Um, you know, not really. I think the last few weeks, it seemed like it was heading this way. Um, just from my understanding, it, Scott was still there. I don't know if there was a lot of, um, I guess, I don't know, any large drive to make a, a big change at the moment. It seemed like he would be staying in some capacity. I didn't know if it would be general manager or not. Um, I, I you know, he, it's 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 interesting because I think when Leon Rose was coming in, everyone kind of assumed wholesale change, um, not necessarily 
as any like specific repudiation of the Knicks current front office, but that's just kind of what happens, right? Like when a new person comes in, they want their own people there. If you remember David Fizdale brought in his own coaching staff when he was hired. Um, so I kind of assumed that might be heading. And I I think it seemed like, um, maybe Scott's job was tenuous in in the weeks that, uh, or month after, um, Leon was hired. At least that's what it looked like. And then obviously, you know, he stayed on. It seems like Leon is using him as a resource. He's never been a front office exec before. Right. So and he's slowly building out his own front office is the group that he's working with, with Brock Aller being the first hire. Now he's decided to keep Scott, who he's known for a long time. I think if you if I remember right, um, Scott was an exec with the Pistons back in the early 2000s, and Leon Rose represented Rip Hamilton as one of his first big premier clients. Yes. Um, yeah. So they and you know and uh, Worldwide West is a good friend of Leon's, and Worldwide West, I think he lived in Detroit, or like he spent a lot of time in Detroit around that time. Oh wow! So okay. y- yeah, so they're all it. everyone knows each other in the NBA. It's a very small world. Um, so they go back a, a long time, and so I can't say I was shocked that Scott Perry is coming back. Um, I think in some way I was kind of expecting him to stay around in, in some capacity. Yeah. I mean, I was expecting him to stay around too. Um, I, but I didn't know in what capacity. I mean, GM, I guess it took me back a little bit. I, you know, I don't know if you remember, are you a Seinfeld watcher or were you a Seinfeld watcher? Yeah. The, the episode where George, um, just does the opposite of what his, what his instinct is to do. And that's, sure. that's kind of always how I judge Nick moves. I'm like, is this the thing the Knicks would usually do? Because if it is, it's not good. And it's like, on one hand, he's not going out and trying to make a splashy GM hire, which typically the Knicks like to do splashy things. But on the other hand, this to me, and, and I'm curious what your take on this is, it seems like the comfortable thing to do. And like, I, you know, I wrote today about there's maybe a fine line between um, stability and comfort. And I just, I I get, I don't know, I get the sense that in, in the organization a lot, there is kind of an over-reliance on, on just being comfortable and, and having, like you said, you know, working relationships with people who you know and are, are comfortable with. And I don't know where I'm falling at this point. I, I don't. What, what are you? What's your take? Well, I would say in bringing back Scott, um, you know, I think the title is less important than the influence that someone has in a front office. Right. So from every indication we've gotten, I think Brock Aller is going to be kind of a right hand man for Leon Rose. Right. Okay. And so Scott Perry is going to be the general manager. And this is me just kind of riffing and thinking it through. I, I mean, will he be a, a general manager and have all the normal responsibilities and decision making powers and influence that comes with the general manager? I don't know. We'll have to see. It seems like Brock Aller is going to have a significant say. We don't know yet. Um, how Leon Rose will structure his front office, how he, who he'll listen to, right? How it's all going to work. Um, when it comes to, I guess, uh, the the quandary that you're talking about, I think the Knicks historically have had this kind of like terra firma of executives that remain no matter what, uh, which makes you think that those people are, you know, the reason that they're staying around is, I guess, out of the hands of the GMs and the team presidents that they hire, right? Like yeah. if there's only one constant in terms of the uh, the leadership at MSG and, and the same people stick around, you, you kind of figure out who gets to make the decisions, I would guess. Um, that's me, you know, doing a little bit of uh, assuming well, in there. It's logic. So, yeah. <laughs> and so I don't I don't know that, um, you know, stability is for stability's sake. I, we, we don't know yet how empowered Leon Rose is um, to make wholesale changes if he wants to, right? Like I think if I remember right, I wasn't covering the team at the time, but Phil Jackson wanted to make changes with the medical staff and he couldn't, right? 
Um, Scott Perry, when he came in, you know, he brought in a whole suite of executives um, to the front office and no executives really left. Right. There was there's just a new group of guys coming in yeah. to make the front office bigger. Um, and so now all those people are still there um, from the last president change in, in 2017. And and we'll see what happens with this one and who stays and who goes. Yeah, I um, I don't know. There's something about this that doesn't. I, again, I get it, especially with everything going on, that the idea of stability, but like, um, you know, I was reading, we'll get to Knox in a little bit, but I was rereading your Knox piece and you wrote um, that he was the Knicks forgotten man this season, the biggest victim of their decision to prioritize a chase for some 30-ish wins over player development. And I read that and I'm like, Did, Scott Perry has been here for all of this. I mean, I, I, I feel like Knicks fans get this, sensation to just put all the blame on Mills as like some boogeyman who was, you know, if, if a wrong string was pulled, well, it had to be, have been pulled by Mills. And I just, I don't see it, especially when, and that's what I tweeted out today, you know, Mills was fired and what happened to Knox's minutes? They went down, which <laughs> it's like, and that was without, you know, Marcus Morris on the team, which is almost makes it worse. Um, I, I don't like, I, I don't know how to look at Scott Perry and, and say anything other than he has done a substandard job. Is, am I being unfair or do you like, where do you, where do you, what do you think of him? I guess. Is well, I, I, I think it's always hard to parse out like credit and fault in a front office uh, to anyone except for the final decision maker. Right. Yeah. Um, I think with the Knicks mills and Perry work pretty closely. Um, so I think maybe there you're able to connect the two a little bit differently than you would in like an assistant GM and a GM and another franchise. Right. Um, I know with Perry, with Scott, uh, you know, his, his thinking has been, you don't just give young guys the job, yeah. right? You don't just give them a carte blanche. He saw that not work in Orlando where he was the assistant GM for five years and they tried to do kind of a rebuild, a long-term rebuild around young guys and a lot of young guys all at once, kind of similar to what the Knicks are doing. And that just didn't work. Right. And I think there's some thinking that that instant um, empowering of young guys, just it, it, it shouldn't have worked like that. And so I think now when he's in New York and he's the GM and he has some power, he doesn't want to just say, all right, Kevin Knox, you got a starting job. You're going to play 30 minutes a night uh, without having earned it. Right. I, from my perspective, I tend to think you give your young guys reps. And I think a lot of coaches and people around the league, from what I understand, think the same thing. You you have to play them to know what you have, right? Um, and to just develop them. So I, you know, sure, it would have been easy for Scott or for Steve or Scott and Steve when they're there together to tell Fizdale or Mike Miller uh, to say, hey, play the kids, right? That's part of their job. That's part of uh, their responsibility. They have that power to say, this is who you're going to play, right? Like, they, I think when you're spelling out or when you're when you're trying to figure out how your season's going to go and what you want to do, that's that's something you talk about with the coach and that's something you have some power over. And so I think that fact that didn't happen. Yeah, that goes on on Scott's ledger. And that's something that um, you judge his time as, as Nick's GM for. I think that's fair. And I mean, the free agency, the 2019 class. I think you can pretty much say objectively that didn't work, right? Like the, there's a, there's <laughs> Oh no, a it worked great. Yeah. It was, <laughs> well, I just say like, I, I mean, I say objectively because the Knicks decided that the off season was so poor and it led to such poor results this year that they fired their head coach and the president, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know what's, what's more telling of how the organization themselves itself thinks of it than the, the personnel decisions that it made as a result of it. Right. Like that yeah. is what it is. 
Um, you know, I think Kevin Knox hasn't played well his first two years, but there's a whole intricate Gordian knot of things involved with evaluating him. Um, they haven't really played Frank Nilakina probably as much as he deserves. RJ Barrett looks like he was worthy of the number three pick. He showed some promise as a rookie. I, obviously, the Mitchell Robinson pick has worked out great for the Knicks. And so that's, you know, that's a benefit to them. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of where it is. It's uneven from the drafting side and it really hasn't worked out well, um, even from the long, long uh, odds risks that they've taken in trades and acquisitions. So that that's kind of uh, what we know about the Mills Perry regime. And Scott was a big part of that. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, listen, you're I'm, I'm not obviously around um, as much as you are, but, you know, the games that that I've covered, like uh, Knox is out there. He seems to be a hard worker. Um, you know, I've talked to his dad a few times. I'm sure you have too. good kid, good support system. I think, you know, um, Mark wrote earlier this year that he, he's thought of as one of, if not the hardest workers on the team. It just it seems like this is one of those things where, OK, Great. Didn't work in Orlando. But if if a if a guy is working hard and putting in the time and the effort, is it still the right move to hold his his feet to the fire? Um, and that's where it's just like, you know, you you hope that there's a little bit more of a thought process there. I I'm, I side with you. And I remember we had a conversation about this months ago about like, you know, what are they doing here? Um, yeah, I just I'll, I'll be very curious what happens from here I, I does it say anything to you about let's go this way does it say anything to you about how rose is going to approach this year that he is keeping scott in it, like with this title or is it just like if he was going to keep him he was going to keep him as the gm and he may clean the house you know with a, a bunch of other execs and bring in new people and really kind of approach it with a different way of thinking yeah, I don't I don't know that it really says anything. I think there's maybe it's so hard to to figure out what's going on with the Knicks, obviously, um, with the Knicks specifically at this time, because there's so many considerations, right? Like uh, Leon Rose is going to use the last month and a half of the season to basically like audit the organization. It seemed like yeah. he doesn't have that ability anymore. Right. Like you don't see everyone doing their jobs on a day to day basis. Um, so you have to kind of fall back into what you know about them leading into the job, you know, what you've learned a little bit since, but in these unnatural circumstances and, you know, what you've heard and all that. Um, additionally, look, I don't know that the Knicks, the Knicks have <laughs> historically been um, like business cycle proof, right? Like that's money's not not been an issue for them. I, I don't know. Like, is that still the case for them? Like, you know, MSG, the industry, the whole business is based on getting people into arenas for events, right? Like, that hasn't happened for a while and it probably won't happen for a while, right? Like, does that impact their bottom line? I have no idea. Um, and so it's just a confluence of all these things happening at once. And, and you know, we don't know what Leon wants to do. That's the thing. That I is know, the like, thing. <laughs> I, I know, like, you know, I see people on Twitter harping on me or like, you know, just saying like, who cares what they would have to say in a press conference or anything? Well, you know, if you're trying to figure out what Leon is doing, um, and wants to do with the Knicks, you know, it, ha it would help to have some media availability to, to figure that out, right? <laughs> to hear him say, this is what I want to do with the Knicks next year and the next five years. And this is why I'm keeping Scott or not bringing person X back, right? Like just to hear out uh, what that is. And I think, you know, by bringing Brock Aller in, I think it signals something a little bit different than what, like, say, Scott Perry has done over the last three years. From what I understand, you know, the way that he looks at um, the, I guess, like, 
because uh, he's more of a cap guy, more of a strategist guy than he is like a, a you know a basketball evaluator. I, from what I understand, the way he looks at it, um, you know, he's more about finding edges on the margins, and that's something the Knicks haven't done the last few years. So, oh, no, they have not. <laughs> so I wouldn't say like you know uh, Scott Perry is dispositive of the of the approach that Leon Rose wants to take, and I don't know that saying that Leon uh, that Brock Aller is dispositive. We'll have to see. We'll have to see who else he brings on board. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, it, and listen, I, I get why people say that the non-media availability is a non-issue for them, but I wonder how much that is influenced by the fact that, um, regardless of what they have said over the last 20 years, it hasn't, um, has really made a difference. Um, maybe I, I don't know. I, I I get where you're coming from. I get where they're coming from. I, I actually, I, but I am curious. Like I want to know what his like. What would he say? Because like you said, we literally have no idea. Um, yeah, and I'm not saying that like it would make a tangible difference in how he runs the team. I think it's if you're trying to tell fans what you want to do and what your direction for the franchise is like that's the way to do it, right? Like, uh, I think a lot of people are in a similar spot just asking all these questions and really, um, he is a blank slate because he has no history to go off of. Yeah. Um, well, who knows? Maybe, maybe before next season, we'll, we'll get to hear from him. Um, all right. We talked about Knox a little bit. Um, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, he, he was terrible his rookie year. Um, but at the same time, you know, he won that rookie of the month award, which, you know, that plus, you know, whatever, five dollars is going to get me a latte at Starbucks. Although I guess if I if I had a rookie of the month award, I'd probably be sending someone else into Starbucks to get my coffee for me. What one would hope um, he he showed he could do stuff. And then this season, he wasn't given the chance really to do any stuff, as you wrote about very well um, last week. I. W- what do we know anything more about Kevin Knox today than we did the day he was drafted? Like you looked at a lot of film for this. Clearly, where where, where do you come down at this point? Is he is he terrible in your mind? Is he just someone that needs a chance, a chance in a different setting? Like where do you come down? Uh, I think he hasn't been good so far the first two years. I think that's kind of been borne out whether you're watching or you're looking at the numbers. Um, the thing with this is always context, right? You yeah. know, part of it is like as a rookie, he was just said, you know, the Knicks said, okay here, let's see what you can do. And they just gave him everything, right? And I think, except for like maybe a handful of rookies every year, every rookie is going to struggle and probably fail doing that, right? That's just 19-year-old rookie, you're thrown in and you're going to play him 30 minutes a night. Um, and I think those are valuable minutes that they need, but it's not going to look good. And that was the case with Kevin Knox as a rookie in 2018-19. This past year, it was just you know, they they pulled back the reins so much that I and just like went complete 180 on him. It was just confusing. Um, and obviously they wanted him to earn his minutes and there's better players and better veterans ahead of him. And so he had trouble beating those guys out. Um, and it seemed like he was doing a few things good here and there and it wasn't enough and it wasn't often enough and with enough regularity. And so then you ask like, OK, he didn't play well. What was the context behind it? He often played out of position. Um you know, he didn't get to develop his skills during games. He didn't get to go to the G League um, to do that at a high rate either. And I think that would have been a kind of a logical thing to do at some point as well. And so it's it's easy to say he didn't play well. And I think that's fair. But it's, you know, when you look at the context of it, it's you wonder, OK, how did it help him going forward? You know, and I think that's more important than like, has he been good to this point? Is like, is he 
has he have the Knicks used these last two years in a way that would help his development and help him as a player going forward? And I think this past year, it's hard to say they did that. So like for me, it's it's hard to like just judge Knox in a vacuum because you have to look at the context and he yeah. hasn't been helped by that. No, he hasn't. And I, I kind of go back and forth like there there's a part of me that wants him. Well, it, I guess this is kind of a separate conversation about whether the Knicks should, um, uh, you know, maybe not not prioritize wins next year. And and again, kind of double down on on the youth or or go in a different direction. It it would seem to me that he might benefit from a year in which he has a usage rate back up like where it was as a rookie, 22, 23, 24, something in that range, just to kind of see how he does. Because it felt like to me when he entered games this year, it, maybe not that he was looking over his shoulder, but you know he would like you know, a lot of times, like the first time he would touch the ball, it would be several possessions that he had been in the game already. He hadn't even touched it. And what would he do? He would fire it up. You know, um, without really even thinking, I j- it's like you said, it's not an environment conducive to development. Um, I would not, I would be frightened to trade him away, though. Um, I don't know if do, you, would you be scared that it would come back to bite you in the ass if you were the Knicks? I think that yeah, but you know, there's talent there, right? Like he's six nine, he's long. He, uh, I think he can get his jumper to a point where he becomes like at least a league average shooter, if not better. Yeah. I think, you know, just talking to scouts and, and stuff, uh, it seems like the position where he'll be better at um, is kind of like a small ball four uh, type of player, especially offensively, right? Well, and you and wrote I about th- the blocks. That It's not like we haven't yeah. seen a little rim protection from him, too. Yeah. And, it, you know, that was kind of but that's that's you know, that's something he has to work on is the consistency. Like he would openly say, you know, I talked to people in my circle and uh, they felt like I wasn't playing enough defense or I wasn't, you know, playing aggressive enough. And then it all that always goes up right after that. Right. And so, like, there's this obvious cause and effect. And for him to be a good player, he has to be a consistent player. So he he can't just go, you know, a month where he's a little low energy compared to what he was the month before. Right. Um, and you have to figure out almost a role for him. Not that you want to limit him at 20 years old, but like, you know, part of building, uh, bringing young players along is figuring out what they do well, what you want them to do at this point, and then building out on top of that. The, the Knicks haven't really done that for him, you know? Um, you know, they've asked him to play the two and the three and the four, and they've asked him to be the guy who runs pick and rolls and the guy who's just like asked to spot up and do nothing else for a while. Um, I don't know if, if any of that benefits for him. I think, you know, like I, I cited scouts in there who said that they still want to take a chance on him because they see talent. Um, they still see a guy who was a lottery pick in 2018, which was only two years ago. Yeah. Um, so if you put him in an organization that can make the most of it, I, you know, what will that look like? And maybe that'll be the Knicks next year and that Leon Rose has a plan for him. Yeah, it's it's funny. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, I think on Twitter, who would I be more frightened to to trade away, Frank Nilakina or Kevin Knox? And you, you know, you know me, I'm president of the Frank Nilakina fan club. And I, the, the answer for me is an easy one. I, I would be more frightened to trade away Knox because Frank, it's like, we kind of know what Frank is for the most part. Like, sure, the shooting could get better. And, and I think there's a real way for him to become a, a, a valuable contributor. I'm looking forward to reading your, your article that you're working on. Um, yeah, but no, I, I just, I think there's more there with Knox than meets the eye. Um, you also wrote about RJ Barrett. Um, well, let me let me ask you real quick. Yeah, sure. What do you think? What do you think um, Knox can eventually become? What, what kind of player do you think he can eventually become? I completely agree with you that I think league average because I think his shooting issues this year were in his head, um, and I think if you I 
in the you uh, quoted my article in your piece in that article i i noted that when he was shooting it more and you actually looked at it a different way and you came to the same conclusion when he was shooting it more he was shooting it better so if you give him a longer rope i think he could absolutely be a league average three-point shooter maybe even a little bit more so if that's your baseline and we've seen he could move with the ball a little bit and he's big like you know if he could just hold his own on defense to me having having a guy who and the other thing that I I don't know if you saw this and you're looking at film, he's not a bad passer. Like he could make some plays on the move, like make some some pinpoint passes. He found Mitchell Robinson for some nice lobs. Probably I would want to say maybe a dozen times this year. Um, I is he like um, is he a shot creator? Eh, probably not an efficient one. But does he need to be to be a valuable pro? Like I don't know what what player type would you characterize that as? I'm not really sure. Um, I know I don't want to give up on him, though. Yeah, I wouldn't want to give up on he's, you know, he's he's 20. Like, I agree. I think part of it is you, you need to give young players confidence and empower them, not necessarily empower them, just do whatever, but like empower them to make mistakes. Um, I don't know if he had that kind of uh, rope this year. Um, yeah, I'm curious. I don't know. I, I think maybe work like I think what good teams do and like I under, if I understand like what the Spurs do, like in terms of player development, they look at like what players can do, young players especially, and they build those up and then they build it out, right? And I don't think that's happened with Kevin Knox. He's gotten time as a rookie um, to make mistakes, but they, it doesn't seem like the Knicks have said, okay, just do this really good for now, and then we'll add more and more to your uh, to your game it, and your repertoire. Well, they did it backwards. They they let, this year, if anything, should have been his rookie year, and then. The rope should have been extended. That's why I, and I know you saw the stat. It's literally unprecedented how many minutes they took away from him that were, and oh, for a non injury related player this century. I just, it, I'm, I'm seeing this is what happens. I get myself frustrated on my own podcast. This is no good. Um, but, but to make a point about the going back to the Perry thing, if Aller is, uh, Aller, I keep saying Aller, Aller is coming in as a cap guy. I, that, is why I, I am discouraged because I want someone to come in to kind of change the thinking and change the mentality about all of this type of stuff that we're, we're talking about, but you know, maybe that's wishful thinking. All right. Um, let's move on. You wrote, you wrote about RJ Barrett and you had an interesting line in your piece about RJ. I think it was two weeks ago. Now you wrote, it was obvious at least that the Knicks did not make a mistake with the third overall pick last June. Um, I did a ranking of like 23 players under 23 a few weeks ago. And I think I had RJ 13th, which is probably a little generous. Um, Zach Lowe had a pod, I think a week or two ago saying he, he was RJ was not on his first two rookie teams, you know, just 10 guys. That's, it's a lot of guys. I don't think it's ridiculous. I, I, I found it interesting that you have that much confidence because you're pretty even keeled. Um, so yeah, I'll give you the floor. You 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 feel good about that? That he was like not a mistake at the third overall pick? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean so the all rookie team is obviously production and play as a rookie, right? Yeah. Um not necessarily not asset value. Also projecting how yeah. they will be um going forward. I again it comes down to context like I I saw enough things from RJ Barrett um that I think bode well for him you know how often he gets to the line um how often he gets to the basket um I think showing that as a 19 year old to a 19 year old rookie 
are pretty good assets to have going into the future, right? Uh, usually when guys can get to the line with regularity, that bodes well for them. The jump shot uh, was a question mark, remains a question mark, obviously. I think there's some playmaking there when he got to run the point uh, that I thought was interesting. The question with him, and I think this is a large part of really assessing his rookie year, and I understand why like, you know, Zach Lowe wouldn't want to put him in his uh, first two all-rookie teams, is like... The Knicks didn't put him in a situation that was conducive to his skill sets, right? Like they stacked uh, the floor with non-shooters. They made him a third option and really a fourth option sometimes. You know, like none of those things were things that he needs, right? Like when we talk, when everyone talked about RJ Barrett uh, coming into the draft, they said it would be great for him in the NBA. You know, he'll finally be on a team that can use his skill set, that'll give him spacing, that allow him to go downhill and have like, you know, mostly clear lanes and all that stuff. And that didn't happen for him at all. And so I think you have to go that into projecting him going forward. Um, So, yeah, I think I think like it's not a mistake that they took him at number three. Who would you take? Definitively with that third overall pick. Oh, you're like, yeah, okay, no, no, the Knicks screwed up. I, I, I don't, don't think that's there. Like, there's yeah, nobody. I mean, Brandon Clark played well. I sure I agree with you, but he's also I think he's 23, and I don't know that he projects as kind of a guy who can be maybe like your second best player and a, one of your top playmakers, right? Like, it's not like any of the guys drafted after Barrett um, in the top 10 or lottery or whatever had these great rookie years either. They all had trouble. Uh, so that's you know that's what I mean. Like, I don't think the Knicks made a mistake at number three, but I'm not saying that like you know, he's going to become the third best player in this class necessarily. Yeah, I, I just, I, I guess I've been thinking about it because, you know, when the news came out about Perry, a lot of people were kind of assessing his tenure and everybody was putting down the RJ pick as like a uh, like a check in the in the plus column, right? And I'm like, I listen, I'm and again, I'm a fan of RJ. I, and for the reasons, you know, you cited the stat in your piece, the only rookies of the last five years who have averaged more um, free throw attempts per game are Zion, uh, Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic, and Trey Young. Like that's that's a really important stat. It is. It, I know he should only shot whatever sixty something percent, but it, it's still the most efficient shot in the game, and he's probably going to get better. He works hard at it. I'm I'm here for all of that. I just um, I don't know. It's I, to me. I I want to see. I, I want to see him in a better situation, like you said, and and I want to see the shot come around. Um, that said, I, I will say this. If he could get to league average from three with how much he gets to the rim and how much he gets to the line, I would you consider him a building block, like a legit foundational piece? Um, for your for your franchise, the type of guy that like you make decisions around, so to speak. Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, do I consider him building block? Yeah, I think at the moment you do. Uh, like I wouldn't move him. Um, you know, unless it was like some amazing offer. I, I think that there's still a pretty good ceiling there. Um, and you know, he's so young and he's so cheap for the next three years. And then even when you have to extend them, he'll be, I mean, if whatever, I don't want to get into that. Um, <laughs> but you know, like I, I would probably, yes, I would make decisions with him in mind, not as like, we can't ever move him and everything has to be done to, um, appease him and make him look good. But like we have him, we should be able to develop him and, and put him in a situation that's good for him and that will help him get better. Uh, in that way that, yeah, I agree. It's the same way with like Mitchell Robinson, right? Like he's not 
a bona fide all-star, but he's a really good young player that you can see a future for and that is already producing um, and that you say, okay, he should be one of our foundational pieces unless there's some great offer out there. Um, I didn't realize until I read it in the piece that um, you had, I think it was only a third of RJ's minutes came with Mitch, right? This year? Uh, yeah, that, that's what I, I think it was like 600 out of like 1700 minutes were with uh, with Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, I you know, um, I think a little bit too much gets made of how many minutes like um, like all four or all five of a team's like young guys get get to play together. I don't think that enough is being made of that stat that Mitch and RJ only played that amount of minutes together because that's, you know, those are your guys. Those are the two clear, clear guys that you have right now. I. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm now thinking of back about Perry. See, this is it, it, all, all I'm doing is just getting depressed. The more I talk about this, this is not good. I'll have to I'll have to find your list of under 23 guys and how you rank them. I don't know if I I don't think RJ ranks. I have to look at it, but I don't think he's 13th on that list for me. He's I, I rated them as assets as like, who would you who would you rather have like this guy or the, or that guy moving forward? And it's tough because I, 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 maybe I still have it somewhere. Um, but because like, if the question is like, who would you rather have on your team next year? Like RJ Barrett or Tyler Harrow, for instance, I think a lot of teams would probably say Harrow cause he's, it has a definitive NBA skill. And, um, I think there's a chance Harrow could be the better player over the course of his career. Who, you know, who knows? Um, I, I, but I, I guess because of the types of stats that you cited, um, you know, rim line and like projecting the shooting out, which maybe is a, a something I shouldn't do. Um, yeah, I, take a look. It's it's easy. You just go to the NBA stats page and group players by, you know, sort players by age. Um, it's a it's a it was a fun exercise. I'll say that. Um, do you mind if we answer some uh, some Twitter user questions before I get you out of here? Sure. Okay. So let's see what we got here. Um, Oakster, it's an interesting, uh, interesting handle, asks, uh, do you have any insight on why they didn't send any of the struggling kids to the G League for reps? Uh, from my understanding, that's just, that wasn't the Knicks approach. I, I think Knox and Noakina might have been open to it um, just to get the minutes and the reps there. But I, it just doesn't seem like that's what the Knicks wanted to use the G League for. You know, they've said continuously they think that you can develop guys. Um, at the NBA level, even if they're not playing. Uh, and that's the strategy that, that they went with and just getting them, you know, uh, development reps in practice, after practice, before games, and not necessarily uh, in the G League and sending them down there. It's, you know, kind of their developmental choice as an organization. Um, you know, Frank didn't play there. Kevin Knox didn't play there. Uh, I think they were originally going to put Mitchell Robinson might have might have put him in the G League. I think was a consideration if I remember right. And then they yeah. decide, OK, we don't need to do that either. Although I, you can't really harm him for that. Like Mitchell was pretty good uh, right away as a rookie. Or at least better than expected. I, you know, I, I don't think they did that with Dotson either. I think. Uh, oh, no, they did with Dotson. Dotson I think uh, I had a, back. a few cups of coffee in the G League. Yeah. Yeah. And so they use that. It seems like they they use the G League more for those types of guys um, who are more fringe uh, or not yet proven in the NBA type of players than like their top line young talent. Um, yeah, uh, that does seem to be in organizational philosophy. One I would not mind uh, if they if they changed. Um, okay, uh, Jacob M asks. Uh, he's curious what you think about the uh, the value of draft picks for like their their slot money. So like for instance, 
um, Anthony Edwards, assuming the cap doesn't go down, is going to get paid the same this year as like Zion Williamson did did last year. Um, do you have a sense of whether teams will maybe trade down because they don't want to spend as much money? I guess, I mean, really, I guess the team to look at here with this question is the Warriors, right? Um, I don't know. Do yeah, you, but, yeah, but but the Warriors, the Warriors understand that the most like the biggest premium asset you can have is talent, right? Yeah. Um, not necessarily how much it costs. Like they, they've shown they're willing to pay luxury tax and all that if the talent is there. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't think that they would trade down if they like, if there was somebody they really liked at whatever their draft slot is, I don't think that they would trade down just to save a few dollars uh, unless there's like a, you know, a, another move that they can make alongside with it that lets them net out from the talent perspective, I, I think teams mostly in the draft are looking for the best talent they can. And probably after some point of like, you know, they think, Oh, maybe this guy's not even a starter, then fine, save the money. It makes sense. Like also it matters where you are um, in terms of the cap, right? Like if you're, if, if finding money under the cap is not an issue for you, there's not really a reason to try to, um, to, to worry about the value of a rookie contract for you. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's makes sense. Um, okay. The last question I have here is from, uh, Nathaniel Chang. He asks if you, if you think Dennis Wood Jr. has any trade value this offseason? I, I guess maybe I'll even be more specific with this. Um, do you think he is a, on his current contract, which I guess pays him, uh, maybe $5 million next year? Do you, is he, I guess the simplest way to ask it is he, is he an asset? to some team as a essentially an expiring $5 million contract. I think that, cause I've, you know, I've asked around, I was asking around on that, like during the season, I, you know, I think my understanding is like some teams would trade like a second round pick for him. Cause I see uh, the talent there. Um, he has one year left on his contract. So it's not like you're getting for the long term. I, I think they would still take a bet on the talent, but I, I think it'd be hard pressed to say like anyone give up anything significant for him, especially considering the year here he just had. Right. Um, and I think he's, he's still young. He's, you know, he's got some talents that you want in a, you know, in a really good point guard, but just coming off the year that he had, I, I think that getting something big for him is going to be hard. And I don't necessarily look at it as like, uh, you know, 5 million is not that much to be like an expiring contract, right? Like that's, it's not a $17 million contract that you can really flip in there and offload some bad contracts, uh, along with like a first round pick. I don't think that just works with a contract of his size. Yeah. Um, I would you trade I would trade him for a second round pick. I maybe not like any second round pick. I I I would. I would per, like a, a pick like the 40th pick in this year's draft. I you know I don't know who's slotted to go there, but I cuz I I don't I mean, know who's the point guard then. You need to have somebody that you want to play point guard for you. So I, maybe this is a good place to end. So I I this is something I this is kind of what's been bouncing around in my head. To me there's only well like maybe three ways they could go that make even remotely a little bit of sense. Either you draft the point guard and start that guy, you know, give him basically give him the rope you gave Knox as a rookie, you know, playing 30 minutes a night. Um, you sign Fred Van Fleet to whatever it takes to get him. And the, it, I think there's a lot of merit to both of those. And then um, there's door number C, uh, which Chris Paul is behind that door. And I don't, I don't really want to open uh, door C, but I, it's there. Um, I, I I get it. 
why some people want that uh, of those three doors which would which would you which would you feel most comfortable uh walking through so they are draft a rookie trade for chris paul and what was the third one again uh signed fred van fleet draft the rookie signed fred van fleet uh i mean why not just say take a, another short term option at point guard and like an Alfred Payton or who, someone else from this, um, some from this draft, uh, from this free agent class, and not like invest major resources into the point guard role. What what's your thinking behind that? Well, I mean, if there's no one that you like in the draft, and there's no like good solution, I feel like forcing it's not necessarily a good answer either. I I think that's fair. Um, I'm gonna have use some- your resources elsewhere. Yeah, no, I think that's an I think that's an interesting idea, especially since that. You know, my long-term thinking is that it would be really nice if they had a nice pick in in next year's draft, which uh, has quite a few you know difference makers. It would seem. Um, so I guess you're not terribly high on the uh, the point guard crop this year. Is that fair to say? No, I'm not even saying that. And I, I from everything I understand, it doesn't seem like there's like a sure star at the top of the draft um, in, in this year. And I haven't like jumped in and watched a lot of tape. I'm, I'm not watching a lot of draft tape yet um, without the draft, without us even knowing when the draft will be. Uh, <laughs> but it's just the, you know, it's just like if you're if you're the Knicks and your evaluations and you go through your draft evaluations and you say, okay, there's nobody that we think is like going to be a really good starter as our, as we project them, right? Then why would you use a pick on it? And if you don't like Fred Van Vliet that much, um, why sign him just to sign him and improve, but without like knowing that you're going to spend $18 million a year for the next three to four years at someone who can be, let's say, a top 12 point guard? Um if that's the way that you value it. I mean, I I don't necessarily think that the Chris Paul trade would be a bad one. It would just be, again, finding out what your long-term strategy is uh, for the organization, where you want to be next year, where you want to be the year after that. Um, Because I think he has two years left on his contract after this. Well, the second one is a a player option for, I think, $47 million. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's going to take that. Um, And just so like part of that, if you're, if you're trying to, you know, open up cap space so you can be contenders and free agency in the summer of 2021. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But if you're like self-evaluating and you're like, okay, we really took a hard self-scout. It's, you know, 2021 is not happening for us. We're here for 2022. Then it's not a bad idea and you do get better. And I think Chris Paul is a really good player that you could use for two years and be all NBA level point guard as he was this year, right? Like he's probably making an all NBA team because he was that good. And Oh, I think he'll definitely make it. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, Trading for a guy who's on an all NBA team is not, it's not bad. Like you only have him for two years, but in the NBA anymore, nothing's guaranteed for you for more than two years anyway. So don't, don't be like, oh, well, the opportunity cost is we could have had a 25 year old point guard that we'd be able to have under team control for the next seven years. It doesn't work like that anymore. If you're going to have, you know, an all star for the next two years, that's a pretty good option. You should consider taking it. Yeah. And, and for, I want to be specific. Um, I my hesitation on Paul is not with Paul. It's what um, they would give up to get him. And yeah, and I think that that's definitely interesting. And I don't I don't even know how that trade would look like because it, there's a lot of ways that the Knicks can go with their roster management for next year. Yeah. Um, no, but I I'm I'm happy to hear you say that because I think there is an inherent value, and this is where a lot of people disagree with me. Um, I think there is an inherent value in just getting better as a team um, without. Um, without taking on contracts or signing contracts that you don't want, 
And I guess this gets back to like what you said about Van Fleet. Like, do you want Van Fleet at 18 or $20 million a year for the next, you know, three to four years? I, I don't know. I, I think he might be worth that money. Is it the best way to spend it? That's, you know, that's a different question. Um, so yeah, I mean that, but these are, these are, I, this, these are the things that it would be nice to be able to ask Leon Rose, right? Like, what is, like, what do you want to do? Like what's the what's what's your what's your priority? What is what is your organizational ethos? But yeah. Alas. So, <laughs> alas indeed. Um, Mike, you are the absolute best. Um I uh, appreciate you taking some time out of quarantine to come on here. Can you tell the folks at home uh where they could find you? Uh well you're a mensch for saying that. And uh, you know, I write and uh, cover the Knicks for The Athletic. So go check me out over there. Subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't already. Uh, And if you haven't, we have a 90-day free trial offer. I believe that's still running. So you can try us out for a while. um, And you can read about the Knicks and the NBA and like pretty much every sport you can think of, uh, except for Quidditch. We don't have Quidditch. Just want (laughs) to throw that out there before any complaints come in. Um, And uh, yeah, or you can find me on Twitter, gas bagging about a bunch of crap. Um, and, uh, yeah, that I, I would say go to the athletic. I think the, uh, the articles are better than the tweets. Um, I don't know. I think the tweets are pretty, are pretty damn good. We didn't even get to the, cause you've been, you've been really switching it up. We didn't even get to the magic Johnson, uh, piece, which was, that was, that was, a that was, I could curse on my own podcast. That was a mind fuck. Um, <laughs> that was a weird one. I didn't, I had never heard or known about that. So when I discovered it, I was like, this is nor weird. Have this seems I. like something's boring. Yeah, that's that was that was a good one. Um, and you had there's a there's a whole I feel like there's a whole um, there's a whole oeuvre of this star almost came to the Knicks at this point in time out there. Uh, <laughs> I may just explore it, you know, and just see how the the Knicks lost out on Magic or uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or apparently they didn't want to sign a trade for Dennis Rodman, which is kind of actually defensible in 1999, Eh. Uh, or the Scottie Pippen thing where they could have drafted him twice or just done the five for eight trade themselves with their own picks. Uh, But it's 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 fun to just like dive into the into the clips and the old uh, newspaper clippings and see what you find. Yeah. My my dad texted me a few weeks ago when I started doing like the the what if Wednesdays. And he's like, can you write about uh, what if Julius Irving was because apparently there was something where he would have been on the Knicks if but uh, they either sold his rights or so. I I forget what it was. I think I think um, they didn't want to. Trade for him? Maybe that was. I remember that right because I think that was like it was like something about conditional about the Nets being allowed to get in to the NBA. Yeah, if I remember, I'm probably messing it up, but I think it was something along those lines. I was looking at the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar one, which I'm guess if your if your dad remembers that I know actually I I because that that's how I responded to him. I was like, well, have you heard the Kareem one? And he actually hadn't heard that. Yeah, so I may write something about that in next week or something like that because that was kind of interesting and uh, that was particularly a twist of fate for the Knicks, I think in not getting him. Um, that's, that's one way to put it. Um, yeah, I would, I would have liked to see how that alternate universe, um, panned out. Well, okay. Uh, something to look forward to, uh, for the next time we talk, Mike, uh, thank you again so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. It's always, uh, a, a pleasure to talk basketball with you, my friend. Yeah, for sure. Same here. Maybe we'll talk again uh, as this pandemic goes on forever. (laughs) It it does feel like that, doesn't it? Um, All right. I'll talk to you soon, man. Be well. 